Hello, and welcome to the Big Question Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Jason Knapp, where we try to answer the big questions of history. Today, we are still with Franklin Roosevelt in the shadow of war. When we say the shadow of war, we mean the shadow of World War II. Today, the big question is, what was the Atlantic Charter? I guess in other words, why is Franklin Roosevelt, the President of the United States, meeting with the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill? When we say the Atlantic Charter, we mean the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, They're going to meet on a ship right off the coast of Newfoundland. This is especially interesting because the United States is not yet at war. And this is going to be August of 1941. So that would place us three months before the Pearl Harbor invasion. So what could Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill be talking about? I mean, you have one country that is at war with the Axis powers, uh, a belligerent, right? As in Great Britain. But you have a non-belligerent or neutral, should we say, United States of America. So the Atlantic Charter, I think, in many ways, as we'll find out here by the end of the podcast, is going to be a landmark, should we call it a discussion or communication between the two leaders, Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, and might set up the future of the war and the post-war world. Well, let's pick up with Franklin Roosevelt in 1940. This is an election year, okay? So now Franklin Roosevelt has to make the big decision to shatter the two-term tradition. Wendell Wilkie has come out of nowhere to capture the Republican nomination. Franklin Roosevelt set aside the two-term tradition, so he has decided to run for a third term, which he has nominated, of course. Well, Wendell Wilkie will criticize some of the New Deal mishandlings. Remember, the United States is still, um, should we say, fighting the Great Depression. The New Deal was, it is not a big issue anymore. I, I I would imagine the war now is starting to overshadow some of these things. So, you know, on foreign affairs, there wasn't a lot of difference between Franklin Roosevelt and Wendell Wilkie. Wilkie's main point of attack was the two-term tradition, which around since uh, George Washington. Now, Franklin Roosevelt's camp came back with, well, better a third term than a third rater. In other words, a third rate Wendell Wilkie. And Franklin Roosevelt could also use Lincoln's old adage to not to change horses midstream. It's still very strong. So Franklin Roosevelt also promised, and this is really important, not to send boys to any foreign war, which might come back to haunt him. It's very similar to Woodrow Wilson when he ran for president in 1916 on the idea that he kept us out of the war and then five months later, of course, declared war. Franklin Roosevelt won big again, 449 electoral college votes to 82. 
Now, with Great Britain, we left them fighting, as you will, against the Germans in the Battle of Britain. And Britain just seems to be hanging on by a string. I mean, Britain needs money. Franklin Roosevelt wants to help, but also didn't want another World War I-like debt mess. So FDR's solution would be to simply loan weapons and ships to the British. Now, this is different than cash and carry. Uh, they could use them and then return them. Okay, uh, Senator Taft, matter of fact, countered uh, saying that, you know, lending tanks would be like lending chewing gum. You know, you don't, you don't want it back afterwards. But anyways, this Lend-Lease Bill passed and the United States would become, as we will eventually say, the arsenal for democracy as we will produce so many things for the Allied powers during World War II. I mean, matter of fact, by 1945, America had spent about $50 billion worth of arms and material uh, to the Allies. Well, Lend-Lease marked an almost, should we say, official abandonment of isolation. Everyone realized that America seems to be on the side of the Allies and obviously opposed to Adolf Hitler. Germany, of course, uh, at this time had avoided American ships up to this point. But on May 21st, 1941, a German sub destroyed an American ship, the Robin Moor. Now, a big turning point, and I'm going to try to stay here with the months now of 1941. In June of 1941, Hitler broke his pact, the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact, and invades the Soviet Union. Remember now, in June of 1941, neither trusted the other. So Hitler moved to double-cross Stalin first. This was great news for democracies. Now those two, could we say, might just ground each other down or beat up each other on the Eastern Front. The thinking was that the Germans, though, would quickly defeat the Russians. We were very concerned. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt sent $1 billion to Russia to help defend Moscow. Germany made quick and early gains. Uh, Germany moved very quickly through the Soviet Union. But the Red Army eventually will start to slow the Nazis until the winter sets in. And as we'll talk later, the Germans, you know, are literally going to freeze to death at the, at the gates of Moscow. Now, this brings us to the Atlantic Conference, or as we said, this meeting with Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt off the coast of Newfoundland, which spawns the Atlantic Charter. Now, this is in August of 1941. Okay, so this is two months after... Germany had invaded the Soviet Union. The Atlantic Charter was formed at the meeting. 
And it was later okayed by the Soviet Union. Oddly, the United States, as I mentioned at the beginning, is not even in the war. However, the charter set up goals for after the war was won. So this is interesting. Franklin Roosevelt talking to Churchill as if he's in the war, although he's not yet. The main points of the charter, I think, are reflective, again, of Woodrow Wilson and Wilson's 14 points during World War I. Some of the things that were in the Atlantic Charter are things like this. There would be no territorial or government changes without the people's vote. In other words, self-determination, which we remember was a big component of Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. Uh, Disarmament would be sought. Again, we remember Woodrow Wilson talking about disarmament after World War I. There's discussion of a new peacekeeping organization that would be like the League of Nations that would be set up. Okay, so do we see here the Atlantic Charter, the first discussions of the United Nations? Well, looking too at maybe both sides, you know, why does Franklin Roosevelt want to meet with Churchill? Like, what is his motivation? Is it to encourage the American public opinion to start to back this move towards intervention in this war? In other words, it's Franklin Roosevelt kind of itching to get involved. On the other hand, Winston Churchill, does he come to the Atlantic Conference to just really get the Americans into the war, period? So... The isolationists, of course, in the United States criticize the Atlantic Conference and the Charter. Uh, they, they simply failed to see the United States was no longer neutral anymore. Now, with the United States sending war materials to Britain, I mean, this would be risky, I think, with German sub, or as we call them, wolf packs of U-boats, in the waters of the Atlantic, FDR concluded that a convoy system would be used. Now, a convoy system is this idea where merchant ships would be escorted by U.S. warships all the way to Iceland. And then the British would take over the escorting uh, from Iceland, of course, to Great Britain. Incidents happen. Uh, Matter of fact, German attacks on the American destroyer, the Greer, was the name of the ship. Uh, FDR has declared a shoot-on-site policy. Uh, The American Kearney, the ship name, the Kearney, saw 11 million, I'm sorry, 11 men killed, and the ship was damaged. Our destroyer, the Reuben James, was torpedoed and sunk off the coast of Iceland, killing over 100 Americans. So, in November of 1941, Congress stopped pretending and pulled the plug on that, as you can see now, outdated Neutrality Act of 1939, and merchant ships 
could arm and enter combat zones. Meanwhile, Japan was marching toward their vision of empire of the rising sun. Now, they're still beating up on the Chinese. I had mentioned their invasion of Manchuria in 1931, and then their eventual invasion of the mainland of China by 1937. Now, in protest of Japan's actions in China, the U.S. put an embargo on Japan. But this is an important part to mention. The main blow was cutting off oil. All right, so the United States cuts off oil to Japan, which they obviously need for their growing empire. Japan's, uh, of course, solution, and this is, I think, a really big decision by the Japanese, is how to handle the United States. Their solution was to attack. Now, American code breakers knew the Japanese were up to no good. We had broken the Japanese code and were listening into their communication. The best thinking was that if Japan was to attack, it would probably be in Southeast Asia, like British Malaysia, or even the United States Philippine Islands. Japan would certainly, um, I think the belief was they certainly wouldn't try to hit Hawaii. Maybe a sneak sabotage attack, but nothing foolish like an all-out attack. Well, that's exactly what the Japanese have planned. An all-out attack on Hawaii is what came. Now, the attack on Pearl Harbor is one of the most surprising in history. Not only the fact that the Americans are surprised on the morning of the attack, but I think what's also important to, to understand here is do the Japanese really think they could defeat the United States in a long, drawn-out war? Okay, so that's surprising in itself, okay? Did the Japanese really believe that they could win? Well, the attack came in the morning of December 7, 1941, as Franklin Roosevelt will eventually call it the date which will live in infamy. Japanese bombers do, in fact, uh, catch the Americans sleepy, if you will, or sleeping Several ships were sunk or damaged, including the USS Arizona. 3,000 Americans were killed or wounded. And really the only good news was that the American aircraft carriers were out at sea. So even if they had been destroyed, the American naval situation might have been hopeless. On December 8th, the United States declared war on Japan. Three days later, on December 11th, Germany and Italy declared war on the United States. So then the United States declared war right back on Germany and Italy. So now war was now official. 
So we've been transformed from bystander to belligerent. And when we look at Pearl Harbor and the invasion, it really galvanized the will of America. So on December 8th, 1941, which was a day after the invasion, there really is no disagreement on isolation. America had been riding this teeter-totter for several years, wanting to stop Germany and Japan, but wanting to do it from a convenient distance. Well, those days are now over. Well, back to the big question about the Atlantic Charter. It's not a binding treaty, but it it is significant for several reasons. First of all, I think what we see here is a sense of solidarity between the United States and Great Britain. Also agreeing to, to send aid to the Soviets now, you know, is this starting to form you know, this alliance between Great Britain and the United States, and just how strongly they want to be allied with the Soviet Union, I think, is a deeper question. Secondly, I think what you see here is Roosevelt's Wilsonian vision for a post-war world, you know, one with free trade, one with self-determination, one with disarmament, and one with collective security, as I mentioned, the idea of the United Nations. Finally, you know, I think the Charter did serve as an inspiration for a lot of colonial subjects after World War II in the Third World all the way from Algeria to, to Vietnam and their, and their fight for independence. But when Churchill and Roosevelt met on the Atlantic, I mean, the geopolitical situation uh, was really, really, I think, on the edge of disaster. I mean, they have a massive agenda. I mean, we think about it, the Japanese are moving in the uh, Southeast Asia. And that is, I think, particularly troubling to the British with their possessions there and India not too far away. And, you know, the Middle East, I I think, is a major concern because, as we know, uh, the Germans and the Italians... um, especially with the fall of France now, could control North Africa and maybe on their way to the Middle East. And of course, we already mentioned uh, Middle Eastern oil. Uh, You know, France had surrendered. So, um, you know, what what was going to happen with the French warships? You know, would they fall into the hands of the Germans? And just, you know, how were the British and the United States going to assist the Soviet Union in holding off the Germans? Okay, so plenty to talk about at the Atlantic Charter. Well, we know three three months after the Atlantic Charter uh, or so that in December, uh, they'll 
be no more decision uh, or no more thinking about what to do. Uh, the United States now is officially at war. But another interesting point is where is going to be the priority? Is it going to be Europe and Hitler and the Germans? Or is it going to be Japan and Asia uh, and the Pacific Ocean? Well, I want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast and the big question. We'll see you next time.